This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. I am so excited today to, because we have Melissa Moody with us from Gated. And if you haven't heard about Gated, are you actually living under a rock? Because Gated has been everywhere on my LinkedIn feed, and rightfully so, because, and we were just talking about this today, true story, we were just talking about this today with our team, of just how brilliant a tool Gated is. Um, for those that don't know, let me introduce Melissa. Melissa is the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Gated. Gated is, and I love your line, you say that you are noise-canceling headphones for your inbox. For those that need a little bit more details, if you haven't heard of Gated, first of all, download it, get it, sign up, do it. Second of all, um, this has been a lifesaver for me, for my inbox. Um, I would love to add gated to every aspect of my life if I could. <laughs> Text messages, phone calls, LinkedIn, heck, even people that come knock on my door because believe it or not, the people are knocking on doors still in 2022. But gated allows you to have a little bit of a gate between cold outreach, cold unwanted outreach, and uh, and setting up some boundaries, healthy healthy digital boundaries. And like I said, we were just talking about this in our team meeting this, this morning. So with that, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. What a nice ent uh, entrance from you, Gabby. I know you and I have talked for a while because you were a really wonderful early user of Gated. And so um, you have been such a great voice for us in describing what we do. And, and thanks for the passionate intro. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I got in kind of at the ground floor. Um, and yes, we have been chatting and I love when we get to chat together. So I'm so glad you're here on the show today. Melissa, t set us up, set up our listeners. Tell us a little bit about the case study, the success story that we're going to break down today. Give us a quick overview. Yeah. So, you know, Gated was interesting. When I first came on board, you were, we're still very early stage. And when I first came on board, we actually didn't have a solution. Um, we had a vision. We have a manifesto. You can even read it on the website, right? We have this vision of a world which is becoming increasingly, increasingly noisy, especially within the digital space. And we have an understanding that in order for us as humans, as us as people to be successful in that space and to stay focused on what really matters, we need to start having technology that protects our attention and just doesn't steal it. And so for a while, when I first started with Gated, that's what we had. We were building a, you know, a really small beta group of users, um, building that vision. And in April of this year, um, gosh, this year has been flying by, but in April of this year, we actually launched a product to market. And so the, the you know, particular case that we're going to dive into a little bit today is focused on one of the things that we did around that launch, how we kind of created a lightning strike moment and brought the vision to reality um, and actually got it into the hands of people who can use it and love it. So Melissa, you use the word lightning strike. Mm. And for those that have been listening to our show for a while, um, you will have recalled that we've had two guests on the show, actually three guests on, no, two, two, two guests on the show that talk about category creation and yes. lightning strike moments. Yes. And generally what my understanding is that a lightning strike is something that sort of goes hand in hand and is very simpatico to the idea of category creation. So before we jump into mindsets, or at least part of mindset, is were you thinking that that what you're doing is a is a whole new category? Was that very much the the thinking behind your vision? I will be honest, I fundamentally believe what we are doing is category category creation. Are we doing it by the book? Uh, right now? No. And I'll tell you why, because we're early stage. Guess who the marketing team is at Gated? It's me. Um, and I now have one other team member, but that's all we have. So shaping an entirely new category while also trying to bring a product to market is a big, 
bite to chunk, you know, to chew, to chew on. So what I've done is I've used some of those kind of core principles and tactics from a category creation playbook. Um, and I've heard some of your episodes, they've been fantastic, um, to basically when there are moments when we are in that category creation space, not just user growth, not just, I need more people using the product, but really like shaping how people think about us. I've definitely leaned on some of the category creation related um, tactics and strategies. And yeah, a lightning strike is beautiful because for us at that moment, it wasn't sidling up to direct competitors and trying to be better than them or trying to do something a little bit more efficiently. It was literally walking into a space and saying, hey, everyone, you know how you have all these tools that help you get through email faster and sort the mess faster and help you triage what comes in and deal with it quicker? Well, we're actually going to stop that mess in the entire first place. And no one else out there is doing that. And so if we were to show up and try to be like another email tool, big whoop, right? Like this is not interesting. But when you land on the scene and you literally say, email is not going to be a free highway to my attention anymore. We are going to set up boundaries and we're going to protect people's attention. That is, you know, and maybe this is maybe later down the road, you say, this is where you heard it first, but that is a new creation of a way of thinking, a new consumer behavior even. So like, yeah, I can't lean on super traditional tactics just to like claw my way into an existing industry. Um, I would love to sit down with some of those experts. I know like John, um, John Rajo and I'm like, exactly. He's amazing. And the people that are thinking this way, I am following them every step of the way. And I am definitely when the marketing team at Gated quote unquote has time, (laughs) we are building in elements of that for sure. Because category creation comes hand in hand with changing consumer behavior. And that is not easy. And that's part of what we're having to do at Gated. We're really reshaping how people think about protecting their attention. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. You've talked a lot about mindset right now, and mm. that's kind of where we like to start. So, um, gosh, where, I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, I, I, my mind right now is percolating with all these ideas because we could talk mindset of the consumers. Yeah. We could talk mindset of your team. I'd like to start with mindset of you and your team. You know, you mentioned you're a marketing leader of one. You guys are, are a small startup. You're growing, you're scaling. Tell us a little bit about the mindset that it that you needed to have starting Gated, but then also leading up to that lightning strike moment. I think it's such a good question. And it's funny because it's actually accidentally why I started an entire other podcast as well. So I, I have kind of this small community called Two Pizza Marketers. And the reason for this is, When you're on a team that's bigger than needs two pizzas, you get less nimble, less agile. And so what our group is, is a lot of people are on small marketing teams and there is a lot of not great stuff that comes with that. You don't have the resources, you don't have the budget, you don't have, um, you know, the freedom to like lean on all these other partnerships. You have to do it yourself, but there's a lot of greatness that comes with that. And so that's like a lot of the mindset that I want to talk to, which is you have to enjoy being incredibly scrappy. If you're going into launching an entirely new product and an entirely new category effectively, and you don't have budget and you don't have team members, you better be seeing that as a fun thing to engage at and as a challenge versus like, oh my God, how the heck am I going to do that? Um, And so I think mindset wise, that like two pizza marketer mindset, I like to call it is this is crazy. This is chaotic. Stuff's going to break. There's going to be stuff I can't do and it's going to be so fun. It's going to be so marvelous. And so I think like foundationally my mindset, I'm kind of built to be that type of a person. Like if things go wrong, I'm like, well, got to learn from that and move on. I don't have personally a lot of like existential guilt when I don't do stuff or do it wrong. I'm like, well, next thing. And you got to have that mindset if you're in that role, when you're going into a big launch And maybe even if your team is not that small, if you're going into a big launch and there's a lot to risk and there's a lot of unknowns, you have to have that mindset. Like (laughs) things are going to break. It's going to be chaos and I'm going to love it. (laughs) And and to be honest, I think that's a mindset that all marketers need to adopt, big or small teams. I would agree. I I, I mean, I am speaking 
partially mostly for myself <laughs> when I say this, but I, I hope that others out there will, will, will hear this and, and resonate with them because yes, you know, um, I, I saw something on LinkedIn the other day that said, you know, we're not brain surgeons, we're marketers. <laughs> and yeah, you know, like we take our job seriously and we love marketing and we're passionate about what we do. And there's also the client expectation and, and maybe the intrinsic expectation that we have of, of ourselves. But at the end of the mm. day, yeah, you, you know, you have to be okay to roll with the punches and, and take what comes and learn and, and move on. And that's a brilliant mindset yeah. to start with. Um, Mike, anything to add? I know you've, yeah, um, I mean, I've I, been, go ahead. I was going to say the, the word that resonated with me, I think is you mentioned risk. So I think mm -hmm. really understanding your risk tolerance as a marketer and as a, you know, in your case, a you know, business leader, it's uh, like really, really important. Well, again, and it doesn't matter whether you're in a small team or a large team. Um, for that matter, I would argue that no matter the size of team you're on, if you want to, do innovative things, you have to build up a higher risk tolerance. And that kind of gets into something like, I'd like to talk about, which is kind of thinking of marketing as, a, as an investor rather than mm -hmm. simply a marketer. Like it's, it is an investment mm -hmm. and you're going to make bets and some of them are going to work and some of them are not. Mm -hmm. Right. And figuring out which ones those are and, you know, looking for those uh, you know, diamonds in the rough, like uh, low risk, high reward type things. I think whenever I think about risk, for me, it always comes back to, and maybe this is because I was raised by an accountant, but it always comes back <laughs> to the idea of opportunity cost. Like, yeah. am I willing to, you know, if, if I place this bet, it's not, am I going to win it or lose the bet? It's by placing this, what am I not doing? And if you can look at what you're not doing and say, I'm okay to not do that. I'm okay to not, you know, to not have those dollars because I spent them here. Or I'm okay to not spend my time here because my team is focused on this. If you can be okay with what you're losing, then the risk is minimal because you've you've already accepted what you've lost, right? Like whether it succeeds or doesn't, that's more like whether you win or you learn, right? Like that's how I see it. But the the element of risk is really like, what have I lost? What have I not gotten the chance to do? So risk and opportunity cost really come hand in hand for me. Yeah. And there's also the, you know, the, what are you potentially not going to be gaining if you don't place this bet? Right. right. Yes. So the that's other absolutely. side of that opportunity cost coin. Yeah. The forward looking opportunity cost. Absolutely. And the other thing that came to mind too, with this mindset is, um, you know, I came from a really big company before this, and I think there are people who are really happy to be in kind of the bigger company mindset where you're doing a piece of the puzzle. I think at the, at, on the smaller levels, it's the same idea of risk, but the risk becomes more, how do I say this? It becomes more like visceral because it's you, like you're on the hook for it. So I think there's like that element of how close to the risk are you, whether, and I think that changes based on the size of your business. Like I've seen the massive teams and I've seen the small teams and it just becomes a little more personal when you're the only one on the hook versus, you know, the whole team is on the hook. So. Yeah. On the flip Let's... side, I wonder, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts. Like, do you think the, uh, at least, I don't know, emotionally or psychologically that, that being on a smaller team, being like a team of one, that the risk is maybe more diversified in the sense of you're doing a lot of different things rather than, okay, if you're in a large company, you're the whatever, director of content. Okay, content gets screwed up. There's only one person that's getting blamed, and that's that person's replaceable. Versus, if you're the one person in a one-person marketing team, and you placed ten bets, of which three were major flops, it's like, well, okay, but these other ones are pretty good. So you sort of you're diversifying your own, you know, job security risk profile, if you will, at this extent. Yeah, I, that's totally fair. Yeah, you know, if, or, or even. Even if there's other people on the team, it's the idea that like your responsibility is very clear. And that's probably what you're getting at. It's like the responsibility for success or failure within within a set of guidelines is super clear. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I want to touch on something you talked about earlier, because I think it's a really good mindset to explore. And that of going from a big marketing, you know, a big company with a large marketing team to now all of a sudden going to a startup environment, marketing team of one. Tell us, what do you think, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rephrase this slightly differently than where you may think I'm going with this here. 
Um, what are the mindsets that people have that actually get them into trouble that maybe pitfalls, um, you know, negative mindsets or maybe overly positive mindsets that actually work against them when they're going from a large marketing company, you know, large marketing team or company to this startup small and to use your word scrappy environment. Yeah, I mean, I would first I would say I hope that nobody like accidentally finds themselves going from a large marketing team to a small one. I would hope that it's a very conscious choice to say like I want to be in this situation because if you think you're going to be on a big marketing team and you end up on a small one, like you're not going to be happy. I think the the differences are stark. Um, you know, on a large marketing team, I think one of the notable for me and part of the reason why I chose to change my career path and to be more at this ground level is the pace. Everybody has a pace that works for them. And for me personally, I produce better. I am more intellectually engaged. I am happier as a person when I am moving. I was going to swear there and I won't really, really fast, like just to be charging forward and always going. And I think there are also different times of life. I know that being at a large company was really nice when I had more like demand point to not have to go rapid, rapid, rapid. But I think pace is one of those things that I don't know if we think of it as a mindset, but everybody probably has a pace that would fit for them at that time. And I think that that's one of the biggest determining factors between what type of marketing team you're on. Um, and I do think it's usually tied very closely to size. I think the smaller, the more rapid, um, just because, you know, naturally, as you get bigger, there's more bureaucracy, there's more levels, there's more approvals. Um, so I think pace is something that it could trip people up. But then again, again, similar thing, like if you're going to be a small company, you better know that it's going to be a faster pace. So um. I love that. I love that mindset and that shift. And, and it's, you know, it's also what you're talking about slightly getting away from our case study, but it's really relevant to what we're seeing today in the marketing landscape with mm. so many companies laying people off, you know, big, mm -hmm. huge companies, even startup companies that have scaled really quickly are now in this very ugly, unfair, awful, whatever, insert your word here, season of layoffs. And then mm -hmm. a lot of people are thinking, okay, well, what mindset do I need? Do I want big company? Do I want security? Mm -hmm. Do I want startups? So I think that, um, Everybody, regardless if you're in marketing or not, you need to have this mindset of, you know, wh what do you want? What works for this season? What works for my pace? Mm -hmm. What works for where I am in life and, and my goals? So I love mm -hmm. that. Let's talk, uh, let's take a step back to our, our case study here. And I want to talk specifically <laughs> about um, this lightning strike moment um, as you're getting ready to announce and, and bring to to the masses, this, this new category that you're creating around, around communication and email inboxes. What was the, what was the mindset that you and the team had in terms of your outcomes and your uh, desires for what th this campaign would do and achieve? That's a great question. Uh, one of the mindsets that I think we have built into the culture at Gated and has always been very important to me um, is a human centricity, like as a broad idea is really important to us. But what that means for me when it came to this lightning strike is we did not want to come out into the market with ta-da, this is us presenting, you know, everybody look at what we've got. This is it done. What the way that we wanted to approach this was how can we empower people to put us, to put gated in their words? How best can we take what we're doing in this idea, but then let it be really human and let it be delivered from individuals. You know, the way that a RevOps leader sees gated is very different than the way a CEO sees gated. It's really powerful for either of them, but they're going to have different value propositions and they're going to have different things that stuck out or made them smile. Um, some people love the nonprofit angle. For others, it's all about productivity. And so for us, the mindset going into the launch was how can we empower as many people as we can in a very easy way to talk about gated, but not with like, here is the blurb that I am copying and pasting, you know, like that was not what we were setting out to achieve. And 
some really, really cool things came out of it. One I will note is you mentioned we sometimes call, you know, refer to ourselves as the noise canceling headphones for email. That actually came from one of our customers passionately talking about us, Rob Wilson at Calendly. He was like, you guys are like the noise canceling headphones for email. That came out actually post that, that launch. We didn't show up with this beautiful term that we paid a branding agency to come up with. We listened to people talk about us. And I definitely think that that mindset was one of the goals of the launch. It was not to just show up and pump our message out. It was to see if we could get people talking about us. And yeah, and then it helps us in return, right? Because we can listen. <laughs> I love that because one of the things that, I mean, we preach all the time and we do for clients yes. is that customer research piece and really focusing on understanding them deeply more than just like, yeah, challenges and all that kind of stuff. Great. That's fine. That's table stakes, but it's the why and the, the kind of that emotional connection and then the word, the, the language, right? Like the words that they use. Yeah. So I love the fact that you guys were able to take that and pull that out. And now it's sort of your, I don't know, is that an official tagline, unofficial tagline? I use it more in our messaging. I think sometimes when we use it, people actually think we're like headphones. And so okay. it actually, it's sometimes for people, it gives them a little confused. I'm still working on that one. I'm still workshopping. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, I think, um, Mike, what do you think? I think we've exhausted the topic of mindset. It's one of my, it's my favorite, but I want to get into skill set. What do you, what I do, do you have think? one. I mean, I, I do have one question specifically. It's, you know, you're, you are, like you said, it's a, it's a startup, small team, limited budgets, all that kind of fun stuff that goes along with it. What, I mean, what were you what were you thinking about like what was the mindset around how how to how are you going to go to market initially right because usually you know you when people think product launch they think big splashy billboards and commercials and you know like you said you know branding agency type stuff you don't have that option as a team of one not to mention at a startup right so yeah. what's the mindset around sort of uh cost versus impact Great question. I mean, bottom line at our size, you know, the less cost, the better, right? Like it was, it's, I always laugh, like for quite a while, I had a bottoms up budget, which was, if I think something's going to be worth it, I make the case for it and we pay. There was no, like, you get this much a month and you run with it. So, um, you know, just from a small team perspective, I think that that's good to address. Mindset wise, one of the other things that I think is really interesting for us is we, um, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening have potentially read the book, Crossing the Chasm. But for us, we were already at a point kind of when we launched that we knew this product was working. We were kind of, we felt around product fit. We were kind of in that early adopter category where people were using it, they were loving it. What we didn't know and what we really had to attack from a go-to-market strategy is, can we get from just those early adopters who really love to try tech and they're really patient with you, like anybody out there who's been had a beta, right? Like this is your early one. Can we get to the point where we've crossed that chasm and people now say, oh, if I'm in RevOps, 100% I need this. I'm going to turn it on day one. If I'm in marketing, i got to turn this on day one so that I can stay focused. Um, if I'm a CEO, I've got to turn it on because I don't want to miss key messages. Like, How do we get to that point where people say, absolutely, this is going to happen? And so if anyone's you know, read Crossing the Chasm, one of the big things there is rapid adoption within a very focused group. So you can call it your ICP or you can call it like your target segment, but gated is interesting. Literally anyone could turn it on and probably enjoy it. Anyone. I have grandmas who have reached out to me and said, I don't have to see political emails anymore. I love it. You know, but we know who we need to adopt it. We know that segment of business people who are being hammered with inbound emails driven by the PLG motion and the, you know, increase in automation in MarTech, right? Like that is it. And so for us, the go entire go-to-market motion for the launch and honestly still to date is great. Anyone who sees Gated, wonderful, happy to have you come try it out. But we need to create deep adoption and believers in that set of, you know, if I am this, per this type of person and I don't want to miss emails and I believe my attention is important, no questions asked. I'm turning on Gated. And that, that's what drove all the strategies then, right? Like, what do we do to do that? It wasn't just, let's go do a huge PR blast and do something funny that's like super B2C, anyone can come. No, it was really like, how do we get the eyeballs and the love of those people? 
So how did you decide who to focus on? Great question. Um, I think we looked at, first of all, we looked at the pain, uh, the pain in email. I think everyone feels that pain. But when you look at the um, the increases in MarTech automation specifically, the selling, the buying tools that I, I can automate more, I can click a button and a billion emails go out. Over the last few years, that has been really, really rapid. And who is it hitting the worst? It's hitting B2B buyers. It's hitting people with budget lines. It's hitting people with teams. Um, and so like, although everybody has a lot of email pain, that was one pocket that we were like, oh man, these guys are feeling it the worst. So, I mean, I would say like any good product, you should start with the pain <laughs> and go there first. Um, yeah. This is sort of a related kind of tangential more around kind of your thinking around the, the industry more than anything, but mm -hmm. you know, kind of what I'm seeing in the space is the response to kind of the um, you know, spam filters and kind of this visceral response from the public at large, if you will, of, you know, kind of uh, the noise and things like that is, oh, well, you just need to be more relevant. And oh, by the way, let us help you figure out how to beat the spam filters and land in the primary inbox. So it's actually like, in theory, making the problem worse. So I guess my, my question is, I'm sort of like, how do you, do you see that as a, opportunity or how do you think about that? Cause there's like, there's consultancies that are, they're coming out and you probably yeah. even know some of the people that I'm thinking of that are, they're talking about this all the time. Yeah. And it, it, what's really cool. And what I'm really proud of is we are not bringing another tool to lock down inboxes. Like we want to protect people's attention, but you know, we just recently re released the inbox intelligence report and 75% of people say that there is valuable opportunity in cold email. They see opportunities and interesting things. What's happened is that we are at a point where, here's another stat from the one, a third of all people have declared email bankruptcy. I mean, literally, don't look at anything. They're done. They're checked out. They have their fingers in their ears and they're not listening. So who does that That's really me. suck? <laughs> yeah, and who does it suck for? It sucks for the sender who's like a good sender who has a good opportunity to provide you something relevant. They're feeling the pain just as much. Email is broken right now. And so we have an incredible set of advisors with a lot of whom are, one of them is his title on LinkedIn is SDR Defender. We are not against the selling and the, and the, the coming in through the email. We're in favor of, can we get better, relevant, valuable, human, dare I say, connection. And so it's funny because the pain that we're solving is initially for users, but really let's be honest, when email deliverability rates are below 1%, it's pain for senders too. Like, what do you do? Like hire more people, hire more SDRs, like put more marketing automation in there. Like, is it really gonna work? I mean, I would venture to say that a lot of people, even on the seller side, and I could name quite a few of them would say, no, it's broken. And so, yeah, we're addressing pain for users, but incredibly, it's actually solving pain for senders as well. Yep. Fun. Uh, my gosh. Uh, let's talk a little bit about skill set mm -hmm. here because I want to dig in a little bit more into the case study itself and to yeah. this lightning strike moment. So let's let's paint the picture a little bit about, you know, skill set. Now, you've mentioned a few times and we've talked a lot about this. You're, you're a, a team of one. Scrappy. But what's <laughs> right? What uh, skill set did you did you already possess that allowed you to build this case study, build this lightning strike moment and or well, well let's stop there and then I'll ask a follow up. Yeah, you know, one, I mean, this is a fuzzy one because I guess we get into tools, which are more tactical skill sets sort of. But um, one fuzzy one I think that's really critical is listening. And you mentioned like any good marketer, right? Like loves to listen to the customer, does customer research. I listened a lot before I built the strategy. So what I did was I said kind of, here's what we want to do. We don't have a lot of budget. We have a lot of advocates. How do we empower them? What can we do? I listened. I listened to our advisors. I listened to other smart marketers. I thought a lot about things early on. Um, and then this is my favorite complimentary skill set. At a certain point, I stopped listening. <laughs> um, I think listening and getting ideas is such a really valuable thing to do. But I think there's another skill set, which is decide on something and go forward. Um, and so there's always this like, well, you could have done, well, you should have done. Well, maybe we could also do this. And when you're, when you're a small team, there's no way 
you're not going to get to do it. And so that's kind of a funny way to say my skill set was both, was both listening and then <laughs> stopping listening. But going into that launch, I knew that on one day we were going to hit on X amount of fronts, you know, I mean, like, let's call it like three different core fronts. And beyond that, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had goals. I was hoping it would do great things, but I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, dropping a YouTube homepage banner. Like there are things that you just can't do. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. You probably have a follow-up. <laughs> how do you, I'm curious, how do you know, other than just a plain experience, which yeah. is probably the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, how do you know when to stop listening? Probably, I mean, this is, I think that's a little bit of a gut feeling. Probably when I start getting overloaded, when I started thinking I could do this, I could do that. Um, and also maybe when the idea started doubling up, you know, like if you're doing customer research and you hear the same thing three to five times, you can be like, okay, cool. I've got that. I think that's when it started happening, which is, oh, you should do this. I'm like, yep. I've heard that a few times. Okay. That's mm -hmm. where I'm going to go. So I'm curious one other thing, you know, to be able to listen, you have to have, you have to create a an environment and a infrastructure, if you will, yes. to be able to listen to, like to have people to listen to, right? Yes. So yes. how do you, what are the skill sets, if you will, that require to create that? How did you do it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of going almost into tool sets too, but like more fuzzy. Um, I often talk about the way that we were able to pull off this campaign is based on what I call concentric circles of influence, which means there are a couple different groups of people that you need to be related to and you need to learn to use them in the right way. So the core one for us, the very central one, and this is where the listening comes in, is our advisor group. So my co-founder, Andy, um, he was the visionary of Gated. He built the initial thing of Gated. He is the founder of Gated. He um, he has come up with this model, which is basically, he, he based it off of what Chris Rudigraf has done at Sendoso, which is to take, instead of two or three really small advisors, you basically build yourself an advisory panel where you have this incredible power group of people with different experience. For us, some are GTM focused, some are sales focused, some are nonprofit focused, um, some are brand focused. And we have this really cool group of advisors that we can lean on at any time. And so when it comes to skill set, like having the ability to network and have a connection to really great people at a fundamental level, that's the core. At Gated, the way we did it going into this launch is like we literally have our advisors and we would talk to them in depth and we would push them on their thinking and have them challenge us. So that's like the central core. And then really the same skill of networking and relating to people goes out one, which for us is the fans and the advocates. It's people who just are like, this is so cool. And they are posting about it organically. How do you talk to that group? How do you keep them engaged? How do you value their time? And then beyond that, there's kind of this broader group of people who are sniffing around gated or like I like to call they're aligned with the idea of gated, right? They're aligned with this idea. They're maybe talking about productivity or they may be talking about digital pollution, but they're in this sphere of like people that we should be engaged with. And there, there's a different way of, let's call it networking at all three levels, right? You network one way with your advisors, another way with your fans and another way with, and maybe I need a better word for that. You guys can help me, but like people that you're aligned with, but you're, I always say you're looking in the same direction. That's that outer yeah. group for me. You're, I mean, I guess yeah. these are like, peers or supporters, engagers. Yeah. Or they know. may not, that's the kind of group for me. They may not even know about gated. It's people who are talking the same way. They're talking about, we need to protect our attention. I, maybe they've built a company that's kind of paralleling us in some ideas. There's some yeah. really cool companies out there. I mean, yeah. clockwise freedom. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think reclaim, like there's a lot of people that are thinking in the same way and aren't competitors for us. We're all just like, let's get better. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I love what I, you're I describing think... because uh, the con like the the concept we we almost look at it in a very similar way. So we talk about building relationships, and where we talk about building relationships with ideas, people, and entities or brands, and it's yes. so you have to kind of connect the people and the ideas to the brand that you're building. So that's pretty much what you're describing. Yeah, and, and I think the skill that you're really talking about here, the skill set or the skill, is. Uh, is leveraging your network and networking mm -hmm. in general because yes. I, I've noticed, I mean, that's one thing that I have been um, cognizant of and, and paying attention to is how well you and Andy 
have leveraged your network yes. um, to tell the story and to tell. And, and like you said earlier, connecting back to what you said earlier, which is allowing your network to tell the story in their own words yes. versus the words on the website or the words that you share in an email or in, 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 a, in a LinkedIn post, whatever that may be. I, I think that is the greatest skill set that I have seen coming from from the Gata team mm-hmm. and on, honestly the best the best example of it that I can see on LinkedIn of this of this past year is Thank how you. well you guys have leveraged your network. Um, I think a lot more companies need to do that and I think a lot more companies could learn from this. So tell us yeah. in through this skill set of leveraging your network how did you do it? What did you do? What, you know, what was, we talked about this skill set. I think this is probably going to dovetail a little bit into tool set, but tell us how can, how can our listeners, how can us, how can everyone listening today figure out? Can I ask a, a couple of specific questions around that? Yeah. Yes, hit me. Go ahead, Mike. So I'm curious. I mean, I, I see a lot of this in the SaaS space in terms of what you're t- describing, like building a, an advisory panel. Like, I mean, the proliferation of advisor, advisor, advisory role titles on LinkedIn is crazy. So I'm curious, um, first, how did you decide who to choose as your advisors? Yeah, great question. And I will say, I am the first to say, just an advisor in title and nothing else, in my opinion, is not an advisor. That's a fan. That's an advocate. We, I mean, we, there is equity that comes along with being an advisor, right? Like, it's not just like, you're an advisor, you're an advisor, you're awesome. So really, it's pretty simple. There is an equity component. Um, You do need to get past the hurdle of meeting with me and Andy, like Andy and I both need to find you as someone who not only the, basically the hoops are this, you got to really believe in the mission and you've got to be a giver. You got to be someone who's going to amplify our team and add to our team, not just be like along for the ride. And, you know, beyond that, where your skill set is, what you bring to the table could be very diverse, but for us, that's it. I do believe it needs to have an equity component. If someone comes along and is like, be an advisor for us, for all the audience listening, and it's just like, we want your title changed on LinkedIn, people can see through that. Like people can see that that's just fluff. Um, My opinion, a strong one, I know. So I will be very clear about that. Um, You know, beyond that, it's pretty simple. We have, we use a tool called Cabal to engage with them. Um, That it's really good for making asks. It allows you to push it out to everyone and say, here's something coming up we need your action on. Here's something up we could use your help with. We are looking for this. Does anyone have a connection? So that's a really great tool for that advisor group. Um, And the other thing I will say there is every advisor for us has kind of a leader on the team. So Andy is kind of leading relationships with some of them, whereas I'm leading relationships with others. And that just means, hey, have we talked to that person in a while? Okay, Melissa, you should probably give them a ring. Um, Generally, that is we divide that up based more on the skill set of where they are. If they're like a GTM leader or they're a brand focused person, I'm talking to them, right? And it's not because Andy doesn't want to, it's because I called them first. So um, if you're one of our advisors listening and I talk to you a lot, it's because I called you, you're on my team. It's like dodgeball. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess I think that answers your question about the advisors specifically. Yeah, my, my follow-up was going to be compensation and you already answered that, so. Yeah, yeah. and, and I want to just point out that I absolutely love the fact uh, that you guys have this rigor around uh, around the advisory because so often, and you know, I tell this to Mike all the time, I'm like, oh, so-and-so is an advisor. So this person, you know, you, you constantly see these like what notifications. Yeah. And it's like, but are My they response really, is just like yours, Melissa. It's like, like yeah. what does that what mean? They, yeah. Right? What are they, what, you know, and, and how can you be an advisor of like 10 different companies, right? I mean, and you have a full-time Especially job. Especially if you have a full-time job and a side hustle. Right, and a side hustle, <laughs> which you see that often. So I, I am so glad that you guys have taken that very seriously and that you've put very serious guardrails about the fact that, hey, you know what, you want you want to be an advisor, great. You need to have skin in the game. And to have skin in, skin in the game, there's there's levels, there's there's qualifications, there's also compensation, which I think is brilliant. So um, going back to my question in the past, before Mike asked this one, um, again, how can our listeners create the level of, um, of leveraging their network like you guys have done with your lightning strike moment? What, are, what, what were some skill sets? Yeah. But again, I think that might bleed in. I have a feeling that's going to bleed into, into tool set. Yeah. Yeah, it might a little bit. I mean, I think the, the thing is, 
because we're talking today about kind of that lightning strike moment, I could probably speak beyond that about what we did in the months following and, and, and other strategies I do in that sense. But if we focus on the lightning strike moment, it literally is a battle plan. Like there was a battle plan for this is the first group and it is the advisors. How are we activating them? What are the very specific asks? And when are those asks happening? I mean, like I had a battle plan that said at two weeks, we update them with this. At one week, we ask them to do this. At one day, we do this. On the day of our advisor set, the really time, and there was something on their calendar. Like I literally dropped things on their calendar to go and, and it said, here is what you do. Now, I want to remind everybody, the one thing I did not do was serve up boilerplate, boring ass language. You know what I mean? Like, it just like, I was like, here is something you can cut and paste, but the recommendation, or here are three different images you could use if you want to. But what I'd really love is your take on this, this, and that. Like I gave them prompts and then said, now go out and be you, talk you. So that was like the advisors. And then, you know, you can imagine like tab two and tab three on my scrappy Excel spreadsheet were, what do we do for the fans? How do I tease this for the fans? How do I incentivize fans to post more? What do I want the fans to be talking about versus the advisors? Um, and then, of course, the third one, which I think I mentioned before, is there are other companies like BombBomb, you know, John was with BombBomb, like they're talking about digital pollution. I'm going to inform the team that we're going to be launching. I'm going to see if they want to hop on board. Like, how can we get them to do anything that amplifies it? So literally it was a battle plan with three tabs on an Excel sheet with dates and clear CTAs and the assets I had to build to get out the door. And then as you can imagine, there's with a battle plan, there's literally a war room on the day, like online huddle all day long going, I just saw this post, who's engaging, you go here, you do this. I mean, it, it is, it's a battle. And, and luckily it was only a one day battle. I mean, you know, <laughs> the war continues, but it, um, yeah, pardon the metaphor, but I guess there it is. Oh, I love it's, that. I, I, I love the military metaphor. The uh, two questions. One is, was it the full team that was involved in the war room, if you will? On the day of war room, <laughs> it was primarily me and Andy. Um, and at the time, we had someone else who was kind of on the team, more of like an in-depth advisor, but we were still really small. I mean, in April of 2022, I mean, our, our CTO was off on the back end, making sure we didn't crash systems. So he was kind of in the war room. Um, but on, in April of 2022, it was, uh, it was still a really scrappy team. So it wasn't many of us. Did, I'm curious, in that war room, did you sort of have like a divide and conquer type plan in terms of, hey, if this kind of thing pops up, this is you. And if this kind of thing pops up, this is me. Yes, we did. I think the thing that I planned for, which very luckily really didn't happen, was the what if somebody gets nasty? What if somebody gets trolly? What if somebody posts something really angry? So I did a lot of work to prep the team on like, here's what we do if that happens. Beyond that, honestly, it was a little bit more opportunistic. Like, oh, that was cool. Who wants it? You know, um, or, oh, that was cool. Where could we amplify it? Um, the other thing I think that was really important is at the time, and really even still today, our primary spot for making all this happen and our goal for the organic takeover was LinkedIn. We were not on Facebook and Twitter. And so like, we weren't trying to cover all the bases. We said, this is where it's happening. And if it gets echoed out on those other ones, great. But like having that focus was important. I think we all know the sprawl that multiple social platforms can create. So yes. Yep. Yes. I, I didn't, I didn't do that. I was, I was afraid of that and I'm glad we avoided it. One well, other question. I know Gabby, I know you want to ask a, probably a bunch of stuff is how did you decide on the prompts themselves? Cause I feel like that's an important part. I would agree. So one of the things that was core was we wanted to do prompts and CTAs that were focused on value for the person. So a lot of it was, why would I ask you to talk about gated? Because if you're, a LinkedIn content creator or someone who sees as providing value, you want to bring something cool to everyone else, or you want to share a new idea with someone else. So a lot of the prompts were around, here's what you can do to create cool content that you would want to be doing anyway. Um, we didn't go too heavy on that day of like, go get this now, like sales message, like bottom of funnel. Um, 
So the prompts did tend to be more like, let's talk about this cool idea. I want everyone to be aware of it. We were really lucky. Um, you know, we drove a very significant number of signups in the first day or two just off of that, but that wasn't a lot of the CTAs. Yeah. Were the one last qualifying question on that is, were those prompts based on a lot of that listening that you mentioned initially in terms of like, what are people, what do people really care about kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah, I would know. I mean, I, it was very easy. Like if we're talking to the team at BombBomb Bomb to say, hey, you guys talk about digital pollution all the time. Here's some talking points you may want to hit. Um, if we're talking to somebody who's really passionate about nonprofits, we're like, yeah, why don't you talk about the nonprofit angle? Talk about how neat that is for you. So yes. So it was very one-on-one -on -one personalized uh, outreach, if you will, that you were doing to give like, it was personalized prompts. It wasn't like the same prompts for everybody. Not really. It was more personalized in the sense of, hey, everybody, because I didn't have the scale to do one-to-one. -one. Hey, everybody, here are three different things you might want to talk about based on mm -hmm. what you like. Go. So I didn't handhold, but um, Got it. I did think that people might have different angles. Yep. And just to clarify, the, the lightning strike um, that we're talking about, it was carried out through the your initial set of, of users or your advisory board or a mix of the two? Everything. So it was all three circles. The advisors went to town on the same day as the fans. Anyone who'd ever commented about it, I said, hey, heads up on this day, we're going to be launching. You might want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then anyone that I knew was aligned, I say, hey, heads up on this day, we're going to be launching. You might want to talk about it. And then on that day of, you know, the advisors had calendar in, in things, but I also went in and pinged everyone. I sent an email to everyone and said, hey, today's the day, post. I didn't tell them what time. I, I had a few people assigned to spread it out through the day, but in general, I kind of assumed that based on people's days, it would be more organic that way. It wasn't like at noon, we're all going to post. It was one day. So time-wise, it was a day for us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But God, you couldn't miss it. If you were on LinkedIn that day, <laughs> you didn't miss it. <laughs> I, I, I remember that day and I remember seeing, and I think that I was part of your initial group you as were. well. You were. And I posted... Um, let's talk about tool sets because I yep. know that you, you mentioned, you mentioned one, you mentioned Cabal, yep. which is not one that I'm terribly familiar with. So maybe you can share a little bit about what it is and, and why you chose it. But I also know, um, that you guys are using us, you have Slack as part of your Slack mm -hmm. community. Is that something that you had, um, prior to launch or something that you did after the launch? So Slack, Cabal's great, by the way. Cabal is a thing that a lot of like founders and invest and like people on the CEO side probably know because it, it allows you to manage kind of your investor agreements. Um, so that's okay. where it can be handy. Slack is okay. I will say we kind of have a Slack community for fans and whatever. I'm going to be super honest. My CEO and co-founder created it and we didn't have a team to manage community or to like provide value. So I see there's a lot we could do there that we don't do any of it. Right now, it's kind of just a way to announce things to people. And I don't think that's what Slack communities should be used for. I think they should be used for mutual value. So that's a work in progress for me. I'm going to kind of check that one and move on. Um, Airtable is this crazy, powerful tool. Um, you can create incredible things and you can create zaps to like make things happen in a, in a really scrappy way for someone like me, Airtable is really good because I can build it once and then allow a lot of other people to get in there and see the data and manipulate the data. Um, so for planning campaigns, tracking campaigns, tracking people, um, we have an incredible CRM that's all in Airtable. Um, and it is really, really useful. Any testimonials that come in, this is part of what we do. We have a really, really robust testimonial engine and it's built with two really simple tools, Typeform and Airtable. That's it. And it is crazy powerful. Anyone at the company can use it, can tap in for social proof, G2 reviews, hand done reviews. So like Airtable and Typeform for us have built a testimonial engine that is priceless. Um, and it's, you, you know, they're building a new part of the product. They can go and grab social proof right out of that. Um, if I'm have someone working an external contractor, I can say, go build me, you know, 200 testimonial templates that talk to the pain of having too much email in your inbox. Like you could find it all in Airtable. You can use it all in Airtable and it's so good. So I love it. So Cabal, Airtable, Slack. Another yep. thing that you mentioned earlier, which I think bears repeating is the fact that 
you really were focused on one channel, which is LinkedIn. I don't know that LinkedIn is necessarily a tool, but um, I mean, some people might consider it a tool to achieve certain things. I mean, it's still a a social platform, but I think that's also a really important distinction because Mm -hmm. as marketers, and I know that I fell into that category, um, we want to do all the things. We want to yeah. be on, in all the places. We feel like, oh my God, I've got to tweet. I've got to post. I've got to have a TikTok. I've got to do a YouTube and a this and a that. And I think, especially if you're a small team, but even if you're a larger team, it is so critical to understand where can you maximize your impact? Where can you maximize your resources and actually do something that's going to move the needle versus mm-hmm. spreading yourself out too thin and trying to be in all the places. Um, and, and, and I think that's an important tool that we discuss as well, as far as like knowing where to be. Where to be. Yeah. And and the thing I would say, and I'm, most of us, this may be a water is wet statement, but pick those based on your goals. So the reason that we are so heavy on LinkedIn is because our favorite target user is on LinkedIn. And the reason that we are on Twitter is because we know that journalists are on LinkedIn and to get in front of them, you need to be on Twitter. And we don't post a lot on Twitter, but we engage heavily in Twitter. We talk a lot on Twitter. So like not only what channel are you on, but what are you doing there? LinkedIn has a strategy. Twitter has a strategy. And recently, but consciously, we're playing around on TikTok because that for us is literally the big eyeballs. That's just people talking about focus and productivity and getting out. I, you know, that's, it's a lot of energy to even maintain three and do it well. Um, I would say two is probably good for anyone, even on bigger teams. Well, and I was just going to say, first of all, I knew you guys were on TikTok because we just dipped our toe into the TikTok, TikTok waiting pool. Yes. And I am feeling all the feelings of like, oh my God, I need to hire a Gen Z person. (laughs) But I did not realize that you guys were engaging heavily on t- on Twitter because, wow, that's a lot. Well, and, and we don't and, post on Twitter. So like you don't right. see a lot from us. But right. whenever anybody's talking about email overload, I mean, actually, my team member who's running Twitter right now, I, I've spit my drink out sometimes. It's so funny. He's able to really play with the brand a bit more on, on, yeah. and just... Um, I think Twitter is more about being where the conversation is than about pushing yeah. things out. And I couldn't agree with that that statement more. And I think mm-hmm. that the most um, successful Twitter accounts are the ones that know how to play with humor, with pun, mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. little bit of double entendre. You know, when I, um, and I'm dating myself right now, but when I first, long before I knew I was going to be a business owner, um, I was a social media marketer and oh, Twitter hey. was, my, was my playground of choice. Cool. And I built tons of... Twitter campaigns and 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 uh, and and I loved it. I loved the freedom that Twitter had. I feel like now the landscape has changed quite a bit from those early days, but I still firmly believe that you can actually have more impact through engagement versus like you said pushing out content. Yeah. So the fact that you've you know, the fact that you've um recognized that and you have a dedicated member on your team that that's focusing on that and really leaning into being funny and being pithy and witty. Um, that is, that is awesome. I love to hear that. Um, what other tool sets or what other tools did you use or on the flip side, what tools did you wish you had at your disposal Mm. and you weren't able to, you know, in hindsight, if you could go back, maybe you would do things differently. Oh, that's a really, really good question. We, you know, honestly, for that campaign, for that lightning strike, we didn't use a lot of tools. So I think I've kind of covered a lot of the core ones. A lot of them were more just organizational tools, getting that battle plan together. Um, one thing I wish we'd had, and this may be a little bit of a mini rant, is I, and I came from a long time at Google. So I am, I am been bathed in the Google, take that as it may be. Um, and I don't feel that tracking what we did was as great as it could have been. And I do kind of blame some of that on the intricacies of GA4 and the struggles there. Recently, I have started ramping up on, and I will say I'm still early stage, I've been ramping up with Kissmetrics. Um, it's a, it does a lot of things, but one of the reasons I'm turning to it is kind of an alternative to GA4. 
And I'm just pleasantly surprised at how it's much more built for marketers. Um, you know, I even used to love universal analytics before it changed, but like right now I was so frustrated and Kissmetrics is giving me these things that like I needed as a marketer up front. I know I still have a long way to go with it, but that's one thing that I kind of just wish I had in place when we'd done these early campaigns so as to have a little bit better tracking on the back end, um, a little bit better insight. Um, and Lord knows a lot of times it's just people typing it in direct anywhere, coming in direct traffic. But I think I could have had a little more happiness in my tracking at the time of that campaign. So. I mean, I think that's like the, the, the conundrum of every we single want, marketer. We always want more tracking. There. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Mike, anything to add? on? Yeah. One, one last question. I know we're, I don't know if we're at your, do you have a hard stop? I guess you probably ask that. Cause I think we're at the bottom of our, um, I can go about together. five more minutes and then I got to prep for a board meeting. Ooh, fun. <laughs> okay. We don't, we don't want you to miss that. The, the only question I have is, are there any processes? Like when I think about tools, I also think about processes that, yes. that you think somebody needs to have in place for something like this to be successful. Ooh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I prepped for it. Um, I'll jump over to the Slack point that you mentioned, Gabby. So we use Slack pretty sharply internally for our internal communications. We kind of rely on Notion and Slack. Um, but I will say I loved having a temporary Slack channel for the battle. Like as opposed to putting it in your regular marketing one or your team general updates or like a, it, there's one place where everything tied to this campaign was happening. And we So we spin up a lot of temporary channels in Slack. And from a process standpoint, I really do like that. Um, and then when it's done, like killing the thing feels really good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. I think, um, we've had a different Slack approach and sometimes we have some temporary channels that come up and like you, you like you said, there's definitely some satisfaction in moving them out the door. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk results really quickly because that's a big part of the master framework. We want to hear the results and then hopefully we can squeeze in a very, very fast lightning round before you have to jump. Oh, I don't want to miss the lightning round. I'll stick around for that. Um, yeah, you know, the results were great. It, keep in mind, we literally didn't have a product to market. We had a hundred beta users. Uh, and we had been listening to them deeply for like a year and back and forth. So at that time, we didn't have a project market. So for us, showing up on the scene um, and then also, as I mentioned, not necessarily making it about go get gated today, but like, here's what we are, here's what we're doing. Um, you know, in the first day and a half, I think we saw almost almost like 750 signups, which for us was really exciting. I mean, think about going from 100 to 750. Like our product team was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Um could it have been like gangbusters more? Yeah, sure. But within that, just a first day and a half or so, that was a big jump for us. Um, we saw organically with no, and remember, this is all organic. There was nothing paid about any of this. Um, I didn't, I'm sure I could have done paid campaigns to bolster it or whatever. But at the time I was like, nope, here's what we're doing. So after about two days, I, and this is all, as I mentioned, I didn't have great tracking. I saw I like to total it up around 300,000 impressions of gated, whether that was in somebody's post or somebody's views. So across everybody that posted, you can imagine this was a little scrappy. I did some tracking. I went out and asked a lot of these people, hey, I saw you posted. How many impressions did it get? And then I was able to actually see on my own the engagements. And so that was around like five to 10,000 engagements. So that's thumbs up. It's comments. It's reshares. It's likes. Um, for an organic campaign for us, that was great. What made the best result though, the best, are two comments that I've heard over that like week. The first was, wow, how big is your team? <laughs> you know, like, wow, we saw you everywhere. Um, and then the other comment is, I can't go anywhere on LinkedIn without hearing about Gated. I, I mean, I walked around the house high-fiving myself. For me, if we're talking scrappy and we're talking a lightning strike, that's what you wanna hear. You wanna hear, I. I couldn't miss it. And so when I heard that, for me, I was like, that's a lightning strike. Feel good. Next thing, right? <laughs> that, um, that is brilliant. And I love, yeah. I love that. And you know, the truth is, um, can we really be 100% certain about what is an impression on LinkedIn no. and, how, and, and how many people are actually looking at that? I mean, you know, I know they have numbers out there, but in my opinion, 
those metrics and those that out the algorithm and and what they consider a view and, a, and an impression that changes constantly oh, so of course. you know um 300 you said 300,000 that you were sort of yeah. ballparked I mean I mean I literally easily... I literally had to go and say hey Gabby I saw you posted I can see engagements but I can't see impressions how many impressions right. did you get and then I'm adding them up in a spreadsheet like that's and, when we got to it and it really could be more like a million impressions right it really could be more like uh, like 500,000 who knows because we just we just really don't have that that level of precision um, and I don't know that that LinkedIn really wants to even share that level of precision on, mm. on the platform. I'm sorry, I have a crying. You've got a again. visitor, so Mike's going to do the lightning round. <laughs> probably Mike is going to do the lightning round. Yes, but I wanted. I was to say, I was to say we can we can switch, but sure. Um, I, I I one final thought. I just I I love this campaign. This is awesome. This is just such a brilliant uh, strategy of you know using the mindset, you know, coming in with a strong mindset, using the skill set that you have, but also leveraging your network really hard, mm -hmm. um, being judicious and judicious and scrappy with your tools, and then producing a really amazing and again, underscore organic campaign. Mm -hmm. Love it. Awesome. Congratulations. And I, I was glad to be a small part of that. Um, because I have a little visitor in my room today, Mike, you take over the lightning. I will, I'm just going to be on mute here. Uh, so lightning round, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Ooh, I'm going to go with right now and it is new users joined. So it is people that have actually joined on the back end of the product. All right. What is something new you're looking forward to testing out this coming year or maybe this quarter, whichever way you want to answer it. Ooh. Okay. This quarter, I have a new advisor who is an SEO wizard and I haven't had the time. And so we are going to, we're going to see if we can get a little quick win out of SEO, even though it's known for being a long-term channel. Very nice. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Uh, what is a marketing best practice that you actually hate and think needs to disappear by the wayside? Oh God, I love that one. Okay, this is a little one. I don't know if it's a best practice, but it's something that just annoys the heck out of me. It is retweeting or reposting your tweet <laughs> from another platform and then liking your own post. Like you, we can all see you. We can all see you. Um, I don't mind taking a picture of a tweet and then talking about it. What I hate is when it's like trying to just get more, you know, you know what I'm talking yep. about. I sure do. <laughs> I wonder if that ever, I mean, I know at some point that was supposedly influencing the algorithm. I don't know if that actually does anything anymore. I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? Oh, I, I got to go with motion. I think motion is the stupidest thing. What, what's a GTM motion? Like, oh, okay. I got you. You know what I mean? Like, or, or what's your sales motion look like? Like, uh, no. Now you're you're going gonna to make me all self-conscious because I think I use that probably more than I should. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem with buzzwords is they creep in and we don't realize it. And then it's like, ooh. Yep. Um, what is your favorite business or marketing book? Oh, I've got a couple. I really liked... Oh, this is really challenging. I, I mentioned earlier Crossing the Chasm because mm -hmm. I think it's really, really good. If you're in that spot, you need that book. But I will actually go with, um, I like Hooked by Nir Eyal. I really like Hooked. I like that one. That's not one I hear a ton mentioned. Because uh, it's, yeah. it's a little product-y, right? Like it's a little PLG type. Yeah. Yep. yep. Sorry. I'm a, little, I'm a little PLG too. <laughs> No, it's great. It's uh, I, I like the book. So, um, all right, a few maybe more personal ones. What is your favorite song or playlist or genre of music even to listen to while you're working? Actually, this is kind of a shocker. I do not listen to any music while I'm working. I can't. So I no um, music at all. No, I am a zero music person. Um, but whenever I have a free moment and I'm not working and I just want to enjoy life, I am a huge fan. Like over-the-top fan of The Killers. So Brandon Flowers and The Killers, I will listen to anything. They are gods in my world. So something I'm going to throw out at you is if you feel like you need something to help with focus, check out Brain.fm. Brain.fm. I've talked with um, Alex Boyd about it actually just the other day. 
I think I'm going to try brain.fm because that's exactly a, it. If, if there's I'm music, I'm singing. If there's music, I'm singing and I'm engaging with it. I need something that is nothing. So yep. I'm going to try brain. I'm the same way. Like music is very rarely do I listen to something. And honestly, if I do, it's something like international where I don't understand the lyrics. Totally. You know, but uh, brain.fm is amazing. And it, I, it, I don't know. It seems like it works. It might be a placebo effect. I don't know, but it, I'm gonna give it, it seems a go. to work. I'm going to give it a go. I use it for sleep and for focus and it's great. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, what is something that your LinkedIn network wouldn't know about you? Um, I mean, I, if I, I don't know, this probably my LinkedIn network might know this about me, but I am, I need to be outside as much as I can. I live in Alaska for those who don't know that. And I need to be in nature. Um, I feel like a better human and a better person and a better Melissa when I have time outside. And so if I'm ever cranky, that's probably what I'm missing. I totally feel you on that one. Well, Melissa, that that's it for the lightning round. Thank cool. you so much for your time. We'll let you go prep for your board meeting yeah. and uh, follow up. I think we're maybe about four weeks behind on production here. So roughly four weeks before this goes live. Cool. Well, it was an honor to be here. Uh, thanks for being so flexible today and good luck. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.